0: Hi, this is Morgan Michael welcoming you to Kindsight 101, the podcast where you'll hear from world-renowned educational leaders about the mobilizing power of kindness. I believe that we all have an innate need to be seen, heard, and understood. When we dedicate ourselves to kindness, the ripple effects in our schools can be life-changing. Through this podcast, I want to challenge you to question your assumptions. Amplify your insight and embrace a willingness to go beyond the status quo in education. Together, let's learn how to make a big impact one small act at a time. Have you ever wondered what an educator and a popular radio DJ have in common? In this energizing episode, my guest and I explore how to survive a public lifestyle while living through and with anxiety and depression. We delve into the experience of battling with perfectionism, the pressure of conformity, vulnerability, and overcoming the desire to please armchair critics. Through her unique perspective, we learn profound insights that will help you foster a culture of psychological safety and creativity within your classroom. Hope you enjoy. Self-described as a fruit loop in a bowl of Cheerios, my guest, Casey Jo Lowe's, is the energetic and hilarious radio DJ from Vancouver's beloved 107.3 The Peak radio station. She has a passion for connecting through media, radio, and television. A former Canucks TV host, CTV News community reporter and host, and Much Music VJ finalist, Casey Joe also teaches yoga and meditation on her downtime. Find her at Casey Joe Los. C-A-S-E-Y-J-O-L-O-O-S on Instagram and Facebook or on our website, caseyjolos.com. For more information, visit my website, smallactbigimpact.com and search for episode 20. I want to thank you for the wonderful reviews that you've left for this podcast on iTunes. Your reviews make a big difference in helping other educators find this show. If you think that I'm doing good work here and you'd like others to get inspired and join our 21-Day Kindness Challenge and Movement, I'd love it if you would take a minute, head over to iTunes, and leave a review. Thank you so much.
1: I think it's important for us to unplug from having to do stuff all the time. Like, people are always like, what are you doing? What are you doing? Sometimes... I just don't want to do anything. I feel really free when I have time and space to be like, what do I want to do? Just be, oh, crazy. (laughs) Like our society doesn't, we don't allow for that in North America. So I was like, what are you doing? You better be busy. You better be up to stuff. And yeah, there's lots of things that I'm doing and I want to do more, but I'm trying to do less. Yes. But I still want to do more.
0: (laughs) And you know what's funny is also, Like, I'm so reticent to kind of talk about this project as I'm doing it, because I'm so conscious of that, wearing your busyness as sort of like a badge or something like, and that's not really like, I'm not really into doing that. And I, I don't really want to promote that whole vibe, I guess. So yeah, I, I struggle with that too, just this busyness factor. And it's, it's something I'm like, honestly, I struggle with too, and I don't, I don't really value being busy. So I find it tricky because I I do find myself being super busy, but I... I'd rather be more balanced, honestly. So, yeah. So that's kind of, I mean, that's a big part of, I think, this conversation is even if we're striving for balance, it's interesting to talk about different ways that people find it because I think a lot of people with ambition and kind of that creative spark and um, even that ability to connect with people and be exuberant and present you need that downtime, you need that ability to recharge. And so some of that is, is sort of figuring out how do we make that space for ourselves? How do we, how do we create spaciousness for ourselves so that we can nourish our souls, I think, because it's easy to just be flying from one project to the next from one, you know, um, something that somebody's demanding of you, and not really having that time for, for quiet and peace. Do you, what do you do for that?
1: <laughs> well, uh, sometimes I feel like I have it, uh, I don't know, figured out in a way, but most of the time I don't, um, yeah, it's, it's difficult. I so I started writing no in my my day timer. So I still have a planner. I know we're in the digital world, but I don't like using a digital calendar. It doesn't really work for me. I like to just like see physically on a piece of paper what I've committed to or what I choose to do with my time or what I'm going to be doing. Yes. And some days I just write no, like Friday, <laughs> Saturday, Sunday. I mean, it depends because I can't always just write no. And it's interesting that I choose no instead of yes. I mean, no, that I'm not available. And and. The thing I really struggle with and I guess I have my whole life and it's super difficult for me to try to be different and I'm I'm really trying. Is just because somebody asks you to do something doesn't mean you have to say yes. Yeah. And I feel like people take it so personally if they're like, hey, you want to do this thing? Hey, there's this show. You should come to it hey, can you speak at this event or would you like to be a judge and eat pie at this thing? And it's like, (laughs) yeah, that sounds great. But if I'm saying yes to everything, where's the time for myself? Yeah. If I am completely empty, how am I supposed to give to anyone? I have nothing to give to myself. Mm. And my job is so demanding every single day, which is a true joy and also a curse sometimes because I don't know how to not give. I don't know how to go to work and mail it in. Like I have to go (laughs) to work and be consistent. Yes. And that is a whole set of challenges in itself is, uh, when I'm feeling like super low energy or maybe into like a depressed mood where I'm down a rabbit hole where I can't function as a human, I still have to go to work and function at a consistent level of doing my job. And that's, that's really tough. So yeah, I don't finding my downtime and my peace. I'm really still struggling with it. And I've just had to to not worry about what people think about me. Sometimes I don't respond Mm -hmm. every emails, as you know. I did. I was so bad about getting back. No, it's okay. I'm doing what I can, but you know, then I'll lie in bed at night awake and be like, oh shoot, I didn't email Morgan back, and what about (laughs) this? Someone emailed me so long ago. You know, I just think of all those things, and yeah. And it's that's hard. Because I want to do all the things and when you're on this like mediocre radio host level like I am, <laughs> people reach out to you for this for the silliest <laughs> thing sometimes and you're like, Okay, I don't I don't have enough hours in the day to write people back and I'm not I'm not getting off on that. Like when yeah. I leave work, I need to make some time for myself too, to not be on a device or behind a screen, to not be um on, to not feel like I have to talk or, you know, rip through a list of stuff. But then the stuff is still there. So when do I create the time? I don't know. Yeah.
0: Well, and I think that's so important because I think, you know, with books like Shonda Rhimes' book that just came out, it was like The Year of Yes, I think is the title. And it's again I kind know, of. That. And it's great. It's like the message is so great because for her, it was sort of the opposite. It's like she had said no to everything in her life to the point where it took all the joy, it sucked everything out, and all she was doing was work. And so, of course, you have to do things for yourself. But I think behind that message, too, people interpret that yes message as yes, you have to give to everybody around you yes you owe it to them somehow and they internalize that and and that's what's so difficult is how do you Because I've even struggled with saying no to people and Mm. and dealing dealing with that ability to like distance yourself from their opinion, which really isn't founded in who you are at the root of your character. Do you know what I mean? It's their interpretation.
1: People take it personally, too. If like I know not writing people back when they ask things of me or if I say no, I can't. You know, it doesn't even matter what the reason is. Or even if I was like, no, I can't because I've committed to too much this week and I will be overwhelmed and not able to function. People say that they care and they understand, but I feel like sometimes (laughs) they don't. They just want to get what they want to get out of it. Mm. And it's like it's virtually impossible for for anyone to say yes to everything that everyone asks of you. Yeah, Because then you're saying no to other stuff. You're saying no to yourself. You're saying no to your friends or your family or what whatever you have going on in your life. I'm saying no to me doing the side project stuff I want to do because right. I continuously say yes to other stuff. Right. However, there have been so many great opportunities and, and I love connecting with people and I I feel so lucky and grateful to have people reaching out to me. So it's almost like a stupid thing to complain about other than I just don't have enough hours in the day. And I I don't love being on a device 24 hours, believe it or not.
0: No, I believe it. I I know (laughs) because there's something soul sucking. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Well, it's interesting. So I'd love to talk about sort of this perception of your public role versus your private self because – I think that a lot of people have assumptions about what it's like to be a radio DJ and that you've arrived at success. And like you said, you're like almost apologizing for the fact that there's this negative piece to it, but it's a really valid piece. It's this feeling of being stretched in so many directions that you, there's like, where is the self in that? Right. And so what would you say to people who, who maybe just don't get it? And maybe you don't even care that they don't get it but it's interesting I think maybe for people who are pursuing that like I think about teenagers who who wish to be in that type of role with this vision that it's like you've arrived everything's so easy can you speak to that a little bit about what it's actually like to be to be in this public role
1: yeah um, I think the biggest thing that I I struggle with in this sense is that um, my job never ends really it's not like I get out of the studio and I leave work and it's over. My name is my job. I don't have a fake radio name. Casey Joe Loafs is my name. And then when I leave, I'm already thinking about what am I going to talk about tomorrow? How am I going to entertain and cut through the seven second attention span and cut through the noise tomorrow? And then when I leave, you know, there's things on social media and conversations and emails to respond. And then people in my real life, you know, there's endless text messages and stuff. And, um, yeah, it's, it's just interesting because I feel like I am on another level of communicating with people all day that when I'm out of work, it's not that I don't want to communicate with people. It's just that I'm kind of tapped out. Yeah. Like part of my job is talking to people on the phone and on social media. And we have this text platform, text me anytime from two to six, Monday to Friday at one zero two triple seven, And I will text you back. And I'm texting was like hundreds of random people a day talking to thousands of people a day. And I shouldn't say random because we have people that listen every day and you kind of get to know each other and it's incredible. Sure. But imagine doing that for like 12 hours a day and then trying to have friends and keep up with things. I I really feel like I kind of have early onset Alzheimer's because (laughs) my memory is so bad. I'm and I'm talking about things on air, like there's just so much going on. There's like too many tabs open in my brain. So when I leave work, it's just like, I need to almost just do nothing. And I I don't think a lot of people there's, and this, this job isn't special. This job does not deserve to get put on any sort of pedestal at all. Um, But it's interesting because people will, and they do because, you know, they think it's interesting being a radio host and it is. Mm -hmm. And I will say that it, it takes a certain kind of person to be able to do that every day. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's not easy. And you know, there's a lot of turnover in the industry. I've been fired twice in media. and I, (laughs) I, I, you know, think that I won't work in it sometimes. And what's that quote from like, what is it? Not the Godfather. It's like, just when I thought that got out, they suck me back in. Yeah. That's how I feel about me (laughs) all the time. Every time I've been fired, I'm like, I'm done. I'm going to work work in marketing now. I'm going to do this. And then it's like, Oh, something happens, but.
0: Oh, that's um, so interesting. I would love to dig into that a little bit because I mean, you don't have to obviously tell me the details or tell us the details, but I think about it and it's like, there is that perceived failure and, how do you rebound from that and how do you how are you able to in those types of situations build yourself up in such a way that you you feel worthy you feel confident you're able to bounce back from that type of an experience and and do it again like come back to media and feel oh, yeah. and be triumphant in it so you just
1: got to lie to yourself a <laughs> lot of lying <laughs> be triumphant i'm like excuse me i don't <laughs> <laughs> Not sure if you realize I eat a can of tuna over the garbage can every day as a meal, that's like the glamorous side of radio um, Well, I worked for c t v in Victoria. that was kind of my first foray into media besides going on this reality show for much music, which was a whole other thing where mm. I was like rejected and humiliated uh mm. on national t v but that was also once in a lifetime incredible experience so i you know I I learned a lot about myself then because you put yourself out there and you see how the media edits things, even mm-hmm. in a ghetto Canadian reality show like that, <laughs> you know, you can, you, I experienced it. I'd be like, I didn't say that then, but then they would put a voiceover of me saying something at a time to make drama. Right. You realize what people are out for. And that's sometimes drama, but yeah, when I worked at CTV, I got laid off with half of the staff. There was always big layoffs there. hmm And at the time, I really identified with my job. Like I, that was me. And so when I lost my job there, I definitely had a huge crisis because I was like, well, who am I? I think that's a a thing as a society here in North America, we often identify with our jobs. You know, first question people ask is, what do you do? Let me label you. Let me put you in a box. Do I think you're important? Are you interesting? And I think it's so dangerous because it's not really who you are. Mm -hmm. That's maybe a way you make an income or humiliate yourself on a regular basis (laughs) in the world of radio. (laughs) But like a better question is like, what are you passionate about? And since being fired from CTV and then subsequently the Canucks, which was another time I, uh, got sucked back into media, I had, um, quit my job at the time and decided to go back to school to BCIT, do the marketing program. And I was only there a month and then, um, got contacted by the Canucks and went and auditioned to be a host for them. And it didn't end up working out and I, well, I had left school to work for them and, um, I don't know. It was just tough. I just had so many different bosses and they wanted me to be so many different things. And mm-hmm. it wasn't why I was sold on what it was going to be. And yeah, I definitely felt humiliated and embarrassed because I left school to go do something. Everyone told me who says no to the Canucks? Why would you say no to this job? Mm-hmm. And And then it blew up in my face. So I think the biggest thing is just like, Realizing what you're passionate about, your job doesn't really define you. I'm passionate about connecting with people. And regardless if I'm gonna go work at a coffee shop or talk to people on the radio every day, that still it's like stokes my passion, which is connection. That's like the biggest thing that gets me out of bed every day mm-hmm. is connecting to other people, connecting to myself, connecting to nature, God, the universe, whatever the hell is happening here. Mm-hmm. Like I feel like I have an existential crisis at least once a day. So, that, that's how I measure success in my life. It's not whether I'm a radio host in Vancouver. It's the moments that shake you up and how you kind of bounce back. And sometimes you don't bounce back. Yeah. There is no bouncing back sometimes and mm-hmm. maybe it's just going another way or just floating. Yeah. So many so many times like, man, I can't even believe I'm alive sometimes. Like Yeah. Yep. Other than like to be alive is a miracle, yes, blah, 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 shmir, shmir, smirr. But I can't believe that I'm alive in that I have been crippled so badly by the painful moments in my life. Mm-hmm. And somehow he, I'm still here. Yeah. And I think about those things every single day, especially when I'm having like a great day or, or like a, I don't know, really a day where I'm feeling really connected and super grateful. I'll be like, man, it's so crazy because everything changes all the time.
0: It does. it, And that's such an important thing to, to realize, I think, because when you're in a dark place, it's incredibly difficult to see, to see yourself in that more positive mind space. And so being able to be super present when things are going well, and to practice that, I guess, gratitude for that is, is so important cuz it grounds you in that so that you can you can have it sort of in the back of your head when things inevitably dip again because i think whether we have really deep dips or not everybody experiences those ups and downs and i think that's the piece that's so important and you you speak a lot about worthiness in your posts and you know this concept that i'm enough and i deeply deeply resonate with that message i know a lot of other people need more of that in their lives and sometimes that worthiness can be hung up on who we think we're supposed to be as you were saying and that crippling shame that we feel when we can't live up to that unrealistic ideal so sometimes it's imposed upon us by the media our parents peers our loved ones our abusers ourselves what does worthiness mean to you and how have you been able to sort of stand tall and and I know you're probably going to say I don't always accept or or value my own worthiness. But I think on some level that you write about it, that you're aware about it, you know, can you speak to that a little bit, the worthiness?
1: I think it has to come from yourself. And I definitely have a a lifelong battle with worthiness. We were taught to be uh, validated by other people our whole life, you know, good girl, good boy. If you Mm -hmm. do this, you get that. Um, once you reach Friday, everything's great. Once it's the weekend, once you get to the next step, you know, we're always counting down to the next thing and working towards the next milestone or achievement so that we're enough or we're this or that. Or once I'm married, once I have a family or once I have enough money in the bank, I really don't think that's a good way to live. Mm -hmm. because oftentimes we get to those things and we're not satisfied anyways. We're just counting down to the next Friday, the next weekend, the next vacation, the next step. You know, it's you don't need to do anything in order to be worthy. I think Mm -hmm. just just being you are. And regardless, if you are fired from your job, you're still worthy Mm -hmm. it's just the labels and the categories that we constantly want to put everything into. I don't, I really don't feel that no one is better than anyone else in this world. Like we're really, I feel like we're all the same. We just want to be loved and heard and express ourselves in different ways and feel connected. And everything else is secondary. Yes. People can be very different, but I feel like we all want the basic same things. And I think if you can realize that within yourself and work on cultivating feeling like you're enough every day. You don't you don't need to suddenly get all those other things and then you're worthy. I feel like you already are.
0: Yes, I think that's so true and I think even when you achieve those things, the worthiness still has to be rooted in yourself because mm-hmm. Even those things can go away. Yes. Or you
1: can well then you're fired. Then what happens? Once I have the family, okay, well then the person leaves you and you know, or your kids grow up and they move out and that's that's why there's a lot of empty nesters because they put everything into that and they really identify with that and then they're like, Well, who am I? Well, you gotta figure that out and and fill yourself up with with yourself. And I get that that's hard because again, we live in a society in North America where we're taught to be this way. Mm-hmm. So to kind of go against the grain and think otherwise, I feel like definitely a lot of people think I'm a weirdo, <laughs> which I am.
0: I think we're all weird <laughs> deep inside. We just were, some people were better, better, uh, armor I guess or whatever it is you know better masks but yeah I think we all are very unique and it's pretty incredible when we're able to sit in that uniqueness and and not apologize for it and feel like you said feel worthy in spite of whatever weirdnesses we bring with us I think that's really important
1: I, I still struggle with worthiness every day mm-hmm. especially when I work a job where it's like I am I'm a performer technically, and I want people to either think I'm interesting and listen and, and give a damn about what I'm offering and what I have to say or who I am, or they don't like me so that they will listen because they find me annoying or something <laughs> like that. Um, it's funny, I actually wrote a thing tonight on worthiness because I've been thinking a lot lately about the word worth and worthy and the word deserve Mm -hmm. a lot of times my life people always been like oh you deserve better or you don't deserve that and it's like well we don't have to do something or achieve something in order to deserve anything because stuff's gonna happen regardless yes I, I realize I have a weird thing with the word deserve so yeah I am focusing on the word worth instead
0: Interesting. And I think that's true because ultimately deserve is rooted in this idea that you have to do something and mm-hmm. that there's, there's someone who judges whether or not you are deserving of that. And so it kind of takes away your power, I think on some level to say that you're either deserving or not. Right. And
1: yeah, that's the same kind of thing. If you do X and Y, then you get Z. Right. And that's not always
0: the case. No, I want to talk a little bit about your writing and how your art, which is so incredibly insightful and vulnerable, has sort of come along and what it was born out of and how it's helped you to process life's adversity. Did you seek it out deliberately, the writing piece? Or was there sort of this innate drive or urgency to create it?
1: Mm, No, I've always been writing since I was quite young. I remember when I was like eight years old, I wrote to the local newspaper in Nanaimo, the Nanaimo Free Press. (laughs) I remember that. (laughs) Yeah, I wrote about my dad. It was a Father's Day contest, and I wrote a poem about him, and I won a $50 gift card to a local steakhouse, The Bold Knight, and that was a fancy restaurant to me at the time, $50. Um, Yeah, and when I was young, I... Wrote all the time. Like Mm -hmm. I, I remember writing a kids book for these, this these two boys that I babysat growing up, and I was always drawing cartoons. I had these like little characters and um, always writing poetry. And then when I got a bit older, I was on the yearbook committee every year, so I was always you know doing the layout and writing for that. And Mm -hmm. then um, when I met you at NDSS, I was in this creative writing class, which I really liked, and I did some English lit and journalism stuff in post secondary, but. I really, I think it's my chosen way of expressing myself, even though I express myself in many ways. Mm -hmm. Um, And in many ways, I feel like it saved me because sharing reminds me how I'm not alone. And in doing so, perhaps it reminds others that they're not alone. However, not everything I write or feel or express or share will resonate with people. And um, yeah, it's caused a lot of people to contact me and tell me how full of shit they think I am, too. <laughs> which maybe I am sometimes. Cause we're, we're all just learning. And, and I get that, like, I roll my eyes a lot too. And obviously that's an opportunity for me to check myself. Like social right. media is inundated with like these so-called wise expert people. I'm, I don't think that I'm trying to be like that at all. That's definitely not me. And yes. but people, I can't control how people perceive me to be. Right. Um, it's such a can of worms when people are like, (laughs) I've had people come up to me and they're like, CJ, are you okay? I'm like, yeah. They're like, yeah, I just felt started following you on Instagram and like, just want to make sure you're all right. (laughs) And I'm like, okay, like, (laughs) what are you saying? What, what did I said? Something you don't like, or you're taking it a certain way, or it's very vulnerable and honest. And then maybe people aren't used to that. So they're like, what the hell is happening here? But yeah. It's almost like it's such an interesting social experiment to me. Yeah, I just got started getting really vulnerable about three years ago. Now had like a crazy—I can say crazy because I am certifiably (laughs) insane. (laughs) Uh, Had a crazy breakdown, not even the first time, but it was probably the worst one I ever had. Mm. And after then, I guess I just got more brave to start sharing pieces of myself, and there Mm. are still pieces of that experience in that time that makes me nervous as hell to share. Mm -hmm. But you know, there's just so many people out there that have this pain and, and we all have our own pain. We have different aspects of pain. And most people just want to bury it down and wear a mask and wearing a mask. gets quite exhausting. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, we also live in the era of oversharing. And I don't want to be a person that's like verbal diarrhea to the extreme and oversharing because, again, I've had to check myself sometimes. I have some friends that are like, why are you sharing this? Why are you saying this? Really, what's going on here? And I ask myself that every time I I think I'm vulnerable or share something. Mm -hmm. I I usually wait a long time before I I share. Interesting. Like the thing I shared today on worthiness and deserve, I probably wrote that like six months ago.
0: <laughs> wow. Interesting. Oh, okay. Uh, it, there's so many different directions I want to take this right <laughs> now, but I want to stay with the vulnerability for a second because I think that's a really interesting piece. Do you remember the first time that you actually publicly wrote a vulnerable piece that went beyond the mask or not that you wear a mask, but went beyond sort of the the degree to which you were willing to share at one point publicly?
1: Yeah, that would have been three years ago when I was like off work for a month and I had a, a big breakdown. My relationship ended. I was just like in my car driving away, not knowing what I was going to do. Just awful. And I did. I was at work for maybe just under a month. Mm-hmm. And I was posting on social media quite regularly. And then, yeah, afterwards, I just posted like a photo of me at the sunset and was like, hey, this is where I am. And I felt vulnerable even posting that, Yeah. just going back on to the social media after one of um, the m- most difficult times, well, a difficult time, I'm sure there's more to come. And I've definitely had uh, more challenging experiences than that. But that was like, really bad. Like, I really just did not want to live at all anymore. Mm. So even though I didn't necessarily say anything about where I was or what I was doing, even mm-hmm. to just. That felt vulnerable to me. But then from there, I really feel like I used it as a tool for my healing, which I know some people roll their eyes at. And I've had people, you know, comment to me, you know, save your drama for your girlfriends. <laughs> it's like- okay, like with experiences of heartache and loss. And I, I know what my wounds are. It's I had like these abandonment wounds mm-hmm. from, you know, my childhood. And it seems to be repeating in my relationships and whether I'm making this happen or they are just happening, I don't know. But, mm-hmm. you know, I've expressed things about love and relationships before. I feel like I don't do it all the time, but I have in, in what's been a calculated way, in my opinion, mm-hmm. and I had some people. Um, say that they don't appreciate that.
0: <laughs> well, and I just think, I mean, armchair critics, oh my goodness, I think sometimes a lot of that criticism or really just downright judgment comes from a place of just not being able to accept their own flaws and really hoping that the world can just be this shiny veneer. And when someone kind of cuts through that and is able to say, no, this is the reality of what's happening in my life, it doesn't sit well with those people because it doesn't really sit well with their paradigm of how the world works, right?
1: Yeah, poking other people's wounds. And if I've learned anything, it's hurting people hurt people. And maybe something I said or shared poked someone else. And I have to remind myself it's based to, on them. It's to do with them. It's never personal, but it's really hard to not take it that way, especially on social media, which is a platform created for us to feel liked or validated and yes. be very aware when we're not. And it's all garbage. It's all, yeah. all of it. And the things I share, the things people, other people say based on that, it's, it's all like a, a quick, like it a, was such a weird new language that we yes. have in yes. itself. And it's a new reality that's so disconnected people are on their phones because they feel so disconnected in real life and then I feel like it makes them more disconnected in real life
0: yeah it's funny and at the same time you know and there there are studies that show that loneliness has skyrocketed and yet we are technically more connected than ever and so I think on some level it's funny though there's kind of this like dichotomy between social media that can help people and then the social media that really is more superficial. Because I think that the stories that you share, and and I mean, they're not really stories, but the thoughts and the poetry and, and the writing that you share has the ability to really resonate with people on a really personal, deep level. And I think when people are looking for that, I think that. It seems as though that's who you're writing it for, as well as yourself, like you said, but really to connect with those people who are searching so desperately for just some truth and and some just being real. And when you're struggling too, you know,
1: you also got to just like, I have to keep myself in check. Like, I don't I'm not like, oh, I'm writing for an audience. Yeah, because Then what you're writing and sharing suddenly becomes a created thing. Mm -hmm. So, and that's fine if that's what you're doing. But then it looks like I'm trying to appease to certain people, you know. And I and I don't want to also have an attachment through the various ego states where I'm like, "Ooh, look at me! Mm. I'm connecting with people and and sharing, and I'm helping people." Even though people have said that to me, like, "Oh, thank you, you've helped me so much." But I I try to not change what I'm doing based on whether someone likes me or doesn't like me and maybe that's like totally naive and stupid of me but
0: no I think that makes
1: catering I'm not trying to cater to people yeah maybe I am unconsciously I don't feel like I am but
0: Mm, that's interesting because I think like ultimately what you're saying then is is in order to be authentic and really true to your message that as soon as you start taking your audience into account then that changes the message right Mm -hmm. or has the potential I guess to do that yeah. Yeah. I can see. I th- that. I
1: think the most vulnerable I've felt, but I didn't even feel vulnerable. It was on bell. Let's talk day this mm. this year, maybe. Mm-hmm. And I, but that I just woke up and wrote a thing about it. I, and I knew the day was coming and, um, I appreciate it for many ways, but I also roll my eyes at it for many other ways. And, um, yeah, I just wrote a thing about, I forget what I said exactly something about to the extent of as someone that's wanted to end their life many times. Um, let me, I have it right here as someone who's wanted to end my life many times. I will say that it's equally as important for us to talk as it is to listen. Mm. Maybe one can't understand invisible illness, but there's, there's always another that can I do. And I continue to talk more about that, but I remember, I don't know. I didn't feel vulnerable to put on, on, the internet, which never forgets that I wanted to end my life many times. Yeah. Whereas maybe like two or three years ago, or even more like five, 10 years ago, I would, I would never, I would never want to put that out there. And it's weird sometimes because I know I've put a lot out there and when I meet someone or someone I don't know, like in the era that we're in now where people can just Google you and look you up, you can find so much about me. You can find the most painful shit (laughs) I felt and shared like an awkward teenager's diary entry on the internet. And you already have these preconceived notions of me. And and I struggle with that sometimes, too, where I'm like, wow, people know a lot about me. And maybe I don't know anything about them.
0: Yeah. (sighs) Yeah. And that must be kind of disarming sometimes. Do you ever find yourself disarmed where you're where you're not expecting that? Or is this just part of your reality now that people may come at you or just come into the picture already knowing more than you might ever know about them. I
1: have to, I have, I am aware that that's true because I've put it out there, you know, Mm -hmm. and unless I go and delete it all, which I'm sure it'll still be online somewhere. Like once you choose to put something on the internet, it's there forever. And I remember I read somewhere or someone made a comment, like, don't put anything on the internet that you wouldn't want to see on a billboard if you're driving in your your car with your mom or something like that. I don't know. Right. Yeah, we're in an era where we don't forget anymore because stuff is digital and online. Right. Even this conversation now, maybe five years from now, I'll find it and cringe at the things that I said. I hope I cringe because that means I'm learning and changing and growing and evolving. Yeah. <laughs> but I also, also hope I could be like, you're, you're kind of cool. You're all you're you're all right.
0: Yeah, I think so. And I, I always wonder about that too, because I think you're right. I think our, the way that we express ourselves in the moment seems right and then or as right as it can be. And then looking back, it is it is cringeworthy because you're right. You've come along. However, um, I think it was Drew Barrymore, and I'm going to totally just butcher you know whatever it is that she said but something along the lines of if you can just sort of accept it as part of the journey that brought you to where you where you are now then it just kind of gives you that like compassion for the the person you were two three years ago because I I've had that feeling many times where I'm like I cannot believe that I showed up that way or whatever it's and like you your just
1: whole life has been a job <laughs> Actually, <laughs> but then it's a cool experiment like I'm in the experiment of being really cringeworthy and maybe everyone else is too they're just not open or aware of it <laughs> I
0: think fear really plays into it too and I kind of wanted to talk a little bit about this because we've talked a bit about vulnerability and I think people are often really stuck in this fear place. And I've talked to a number of people on this podcast about what fear is. I've talked to psychiatrists, I've talked to neuroscientists about it, and they sort of bring it down to this this fight, flight, or freeze response and how that kind of plays out in terms of we procrastinate or we obviously fight and and pick fights. And um, I just want to talk a little bit about fear in terms of how you kind of push beyond it or you do you – How do you treat fear? Do you feel it? Do you ignore it? Do you honor it? How do you treat fear and what does it mean to you?
1: I feel afraid every day in some ways. You Mm -hmm. know, those things that we talked about, like not feeling like enough, or maybe I'll never have a family, or maybe I'll always be on my own. I struggle a lot with loneliness. Mm -hmm. Being alone, I think, is amazing. Having time and solitude and knowing yourself is great. And then sometimes I feel really disconnected because. I'm put on an unnecessary pedestal throughout the day where I feel really connected. I'm talking to a lot of people and doing a lot of things. And then I leave and go home to my apartment of dying plants. And I'm like, <laughs> is this it? You know? Yes. And then I feel really alone. And so, yeah, I think just being kind to yourself and realizing that we're all afraid about certain things. and But I don't want to be motivated by fear. I want fear to be my ally and my friend. And... It's kind of cheesy, but, you know, it's like you either choose fear or love. Yeah. Well, what do I want to choose? Being afraid and being limited by something or trying to be more compassionate and kind with myself and understanding of why I might feel afraid about certain things or and and how I can maybe move past it and confront it. So I think yeah. the more we avoid the things that we're afraid of or scared by, the more it's going to be a problem in our lives.
0: Absolutely.
1: Like, I've always had this really irrational fear about getting a flat tire. And my coworker, James, was like, just look up on YouTube how to change a tire. And I was like, no way. It's my dad's fault. He never taught me. I'm so hard done by all these things. And guess what happened two weekends ago, Morgan? I got a a nail in my tire. Oh, my God. And I was lucky to be with somebody. He'd never changed a tire before, but he figured it out and did it. And then I went and got the tire fixed. And yesterday I went and um, learned how to change it myself. And so oh, it's like, cool. okay, I just like I just did it. Now I don't want to be getting the flat tire all the time. And I'm not gonna lie, I'm still afraid to get a <laughs> flat tire. But I feel like, you know, I I was forced into the thing I was always afraid of. I could have been better prepared for it. I was pretty lucky with the outcome. And it doesn't always have to be something as you know, maybe juvenile is getting a flat tire. Maybe it's something that's way deeper and more terrifying than that. A lot of people are afraid of being alone. I think once you come to terms with your own aloneness, we're all alone, but together. And that's something I think about a lot. You know, you can look up at the stars and feel like, oh, you're just so alone. Or you can look up at the stars and remember that you're never alone. Mm. Except loneliness, I think, is one of the most crippling feelings in the entire world. Mm -hmm. And there's a Douglas Copeland quote which I really enjoy. It's something like, uh, "There's something that your teachers will never tell you in school, and I wish they would have prepared you for it. But uh, it's something called loneliness, and it's going to be one of the most horrible feelings in the world. But don't worry, everyone experiences it, and if you're lucky, you'll be better because of it. Oh, something like that. Maybe that's so good. But that
0: transformative power of fear and then even that loneliness piece that we all really do fear deep inside and that if you can sit with it and maybe uncomfortably so that there can be growth on the other side. And and I think that's so true. Like, And I want to talk a little bit about school because I think as teachers, sometimes we really want to make the experience comfortable one, but I'm... I'm in talking to people and really digging in. I think there's sort of this space for exploring the discomfort of learning in a really authentic way, in a way that we can support students. And I'd love to hear a little bit about what your experience was like at school. Did you enjoy school? What you know? And I knew you briefly through high school, and I mean, you seemed like a really smart, intelligent, vibrant, very social person. And I'd be interested to know how you interpreted your experience of school and if you enjoyed it and and what you would have wanted your teachers to know about you that maybe they didn't know because of how you presented.
1: I think I felt very connected in school, but also very lonely. Hmm. I loved school and I also at the same time felt like um, an outsider, Mm -hmm. I found school was tough at times um, because I had a really challenging, chaotic home life Mm -hmm. and started working at a very young age. And I had parents that always wanted me to do better than straight A's. Right. (laughs) Yeah. And so I, I didn't come from any sort of money, but I wanted to do everything. And I did everything. Um, I realized I was a part of everything at school because I never wanted to be home. So I became like an overachiever, which I think is also dangerous too. Oh, yeah. Like I've had to be a certain way in order to survive the situation I was born into. But then later on in life as an adult, it doesn't really serve you. No. So you have to figure out how to like, strip away and why my brain developed the way that it did. I feel like I was definitely defined as emo or emotional and needy <laughs> at a young age. Um, I experienced a lot of trauma, so that makes mm, sense, but mm-hmm. I definitely didn't do the normal school things. I never went to parties, never had really relationships. I loved my teachers though. Um, mm-hmm. some of them definitely saved my life. I had an incredible music teacher, uh, at Cedar secondary school and his name was Joe Stevenson and he, he really believed in me. I was twelve years old. I started playing saxophone. He had me going to play with the high school senior jazz band. And I was just like a young little like puke of a kid. <laughs> and everyone there, I felt like wanted to beat me up because they were all, like <laughs> seventeen and I was some twelve year old going to play with them. And right. he really he believed in me. And he and I actually I wanted to become a jazz or some sort of music teacher. To honor Joe Stevenson, his life, he unfortunately passed away. And mm. um that was my first real experience with someone who had succumbed to the overwhelming pain that life can present. He mm. killed himself.
0: Mm. And
1: that happened when I was, I think, 16 years old. Oh. And yeah, I always, i every, I just felt like I knew his pain every yeah. time I see him. I got it because I felt that same way too in uh-huh. certain ways. Um, what I want to say to my teachers, what would I want my teachers to know? Well, I think it's like the most incredible thing to be a teacher. I've, I really, truly thought I was going to be a teacher. I really wanted to be one, and I think there's a lot of pressure that's put on teachers and. Everyone's just trying to do it the best and do it their way, and maybe they're not best supported by the government, and things are always changing, and school system's trying to keep up with it. But I just wish we talked more about feelings. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We can introduce, like, a therapeutic aspect to the school system. Yeah. I don't know. That's not to say that there weren't aspects about it, but – yeah, I, I don't
0: know. I, I think, think you're right. I think that's sort of where, where people are real. I mean, our curriculum has changed to include this, this portion called the social emotional learning piece, which is really at the forefront now. And it is based and it's rooted in sort of this ability to know ourselves and then to be able to within that context of knowing ourselves to interact with our peers and with the people around us and all of the, the factors that we can't control and and sort of build up resiliency and build up this, this ability that's like founded in growth mindset, they call it, which is that ability to grow. So like, we're not really defined when we, when we're, you know, five or six or 10 years old, like there's always room to grow and there's always room to change. And I think when people and kids are aware of that ability to change and the ability to kind of learn new skills and to get better at things and to to learn to manage things, even if they have come from trauma, I think that's so important because otherwise you do kind of slip into that perfectionist ideal or complete rejection of what you're supposed mm-hmm. to be and then either way can be really really damaging. So I think I people, yeah, people are more aware of that and they're trying to work it in, but I think part of this podcast is really digging into that. Like what does that mean? Cuz it's not superficial. If we're going to do it right, you know, we've really got to dig in and understand what this means for people and talking to people and their own experiences I think really gives a lot of insight into how we can do that.
1: I really I know it's such a hot term these days, mindfulness, but I just, uh, completed my, uh, meditation teacher training at a place here in Vancouver called moment meditation. And I say that super humbly because, um, it, it never ends. Like (laughs) you you don't suddenly become a meditation teacher. I'm definitely a a student of meditation probably forever, but I know like a lot of schools and, Different programs are offering mindfulness and meditation. And I think that's something that I a million percent support in mm. the school system. And maybe it's not always the easiest to have that worked into the traditional school system, but just like working on awareness and consciousness and, you know, realizing the voice in your head isn't actually you and it's taking a step back and looking at yourself and. You know all the stories and the habits and the patterns that we have, everything that's going on in our mind. How you can kind of separate yourself from that—that's not really preferred by like a traditional school system, I'm sure. Maybe you'd like want to go to a Montessori school or something like that, but that's what I wished I could have experienced.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Younger now, I see kids that are like, I'm meditating, or I'm doing yoga. And you're like, what?
0: <laughs> I can feel so hopeful
1: for the future of the human race. Totally. <laughs>
0: I think so. And I think especially in this really, because we grew up and for most of our lives, like at the in our young school based lives, we didn't have the internet really. So no. or access to it really in a in the way that kids do now. So creating that spaciousness and that mindfulness, like you said, is so important. And I think people are really trying. And I have a girlfriend who does a program for teachers specifically called Awaken um, the Well Being for Teachers. And it's really about kind of creating that mindful space for teachers, because there are so many pressures. But I think within that, there's also that push toward mindfulness for students as well. But it can be tricky. So I think, again, it comes back to that whole, like, how do we do this in a really authentic way where kids aren't just like rolling their eyes and going, this is awful, because you can do that. You can kind of wreck it and make it really mainstream and boring, or you can make it authentic to what the intent behind mindfulness is, which really, like and you should really speak to this because you just went through it. But my understanding of mindfulness is that really it's about staying present and being able to be aware of our feelings and aware of how our thoughts as well. And like you said, that distance from owning them, right?
1: Noticing it Mm. and not having to label it or make a story about it or seeing where our mind goes with the story, but not getting sucked into it. Mm. And I think another thing um, for the school system is – experiencing our feelings but not attaching to them so much and Mm. how do we express emotions like I didn't even learn this until a couple years ago like we always want to be happy and just be happy and just be happy and be positive and Mm. glass half full but guess what there are a plethora of other emotions we experience as humans and how do we express those emotions in healthy ways how do you express anger in a healthy way and how do you teach a kid how to do that instead of just bottling it up, burying it down. Yes. How can we have more conversations about experiencing and expressing our like plethora of emotions and feelings in healthy ways? Yes. Because we have those feelings to express them and to get them out. Yeah. That doesn't mean that we need to always be angry and that doesn't mean we always need to be, you know, positive, but
0: somewhere
1: in there getting to the truth and getting to the real you.
0: Yeah, as part of it and not pushing it away. I think that's such an important, important message as well. What is your mindful practice then? Do you, do you meditate every day or are you more relaxed about it? I'm just curious.
1: I would say I'm, I'm more relaxed about it. Um, I have read a lot of research about uh, how meditating 20 minutes a day for eight weeks can actually change your brain. And it's really interesting because up until like 20 years ago, like science didn't think your brain could actually change by yeah. sitting there, like almost detaching yourself and stepping back. Um, I would say that m- having morning rituals is really important. Mm. Um, if you can have the time and the space mm-hmm. or evening rituals or a midday ritual, mm. um, I started meditating before going on the air, mm. uh, maybe trying to do that like at noon, I think in the morning, if I can meditate even for 10 or 20 minutes, And in the evening as well, does that happen every day? No. Am I going to beat myself up about it? No, but I do. (laughs) Sometimes you don't, you, sometimes your life doesn't happen that way. And I think to only have like a strict routine, I mean, that could be a beautiful thing, but I don't really live a life that offers that. So when can I sneak it in and when can I carve out those moments for myself? Is it, going and taking a walk and maybe walking mindfully? Yes. Is it checking in with myself? How's my breathing? I mean, one thing I, that really helped me, um, with, which my teacher, horoko uh, DiMichelis from Moment Meditation, uh, she lent to me this device called Spire, And it's a little clip that connects to an app on your phone. And you oh. can put it like clip it on your bra or, or at your waistband or something. And it can tell when you're breathing shallow. Oh, and I, it, and it'll give you a little vibrate and the app like tracks your data. I actually want to get the app. I find it very oh my interesting God. and it helped me realize like a certain time every day I would go on air and I would do this thing. This is years ago, but I'd do this thing called rock bite yep. where I would play a clip of a song and people would call in and guess it. And every single time at that day, <laughs> I wouldn't be breathing. Oh my gosh. Because I'd be so stressed every time <laughs> it would vibrate off and I'd be like this. Vicariously. Is so yeah. <laughs> So if you can have like a tool like that to maybe help you with your mindfulness but yes. even other things like I started doing when I walk into another room when I walk through a doorway just doing like a quick body scan or a quick check in. Yeah. Body scans are huge too. Where am I holding tightness in my body? Right. Especially in your face. I feel like your your face holds so much of your emotions and a lot of your fears and your pain too. Yeah. And just like facial stretching and and getting out of your mind and getting out of your feelings. I know I've talked a lot about oh feelings and emotions, no, no, but like it's good. getting out of that sometimes. Yes. Like you need to make that a part of your practice as well. And yes. there are just so many different tools and so many different things you can do. I, I recently got a couple wooden flutes because I wanted to express more joy in my life. I've cool. been feeling like up and down and like really in a depressed funk mm. a lot, probably for the last six months. And a lot of it has to do around like a relationship ending and heartache, relentless heartache, this Mm. heartache I've had probably for the last two years, it feels like. But yeah, trying to, to do what I can to cultivate more joy in my life. So if that's waking up, meditating for 15 minutes Um, my friend started a tea company and she's shown me how to have tea ceremonies and setting intentions, you know, lighting candles, maybe playing my flute for a little bit. We don't all have time to be super hippie in the morning, (laughs) afternoon and evening, but whatever speaks to you and whatever works for you, maybe it's making a gratitude list in the morning. I did that for many years in the morning and at night, you know, I got yes. a five minute journal recently. And I think a five minute journal is great. Like, yes. you don't always have to be sitting on a cushion and meditating for half an hour in order for you to practice mindfulness or even get the benefits of meditation. It can be different things. And I think finding out what works for you, checking in, doing it with other people, if you can doing it solo and on your own. Um, and just all the research and the information that has been coming out is just quite interesting so that knowing your why yes like, in anything is knowing yeah. your why like okay am I a better person if I meditate yes okay well let's not put it off until it all becomes too much and I have a crazy breakdown and if that <laughs> does happen which it inevitably does being kind to yourself yes like, okay I need to make this more of a priority because it'll all bubble over again and we know what happens when we get there it's not absolutely. that absolutely cool.
0: It's not that cool. Those are <laughs> wise words. And I think Right. <laughs> I, I love it, though, because I think there's that piece about just really also not net, letting it become this super rigid expectation on yourself. Because the irony is that I'm really this kind of a person who can get really rigid about my the expectations I set around achievement and, and all of these different things. And then I can apply that to a mindfulness practice or a gratitude practice, which is so ironic because I'll beat myself up when I don't do it the way that I envision doing it. And then when when I become aware of that, I'm like, oh my goodness, like I just cannot get away from myself. So I think it's an important point for people who are really seeking seeking space and just allowing yourself the space to not necessarily adhere to super rigid you know, mindfulness or meditation practice.
1: And and often the times that we don't want to face ourselves, we're not going to do it. Like I won't be meditating. And I'll be like, I have no time. It's like, well, I do have time to brush my teeth, floss my teeth, do my hair, you know, waste hours of my life on Instagram, scrolling mindlessly. I definitely have time. What am I avoiding myself? Right. Right. And I can read all this research and know the benefits of meditation. And that's just, just one thing you can do for yourself. And I think you know, when we're avoiding it, just to remember to be kind to ourselves. But sometimes we have to parent ourselves and be like, okay. Yeah. Like, why? Yeah. You know?
0: I want to be really mindful of time. And That's I have okay. a few I have a few questions um, that are kind of rapid fire. But before yeah. we get to that portion, is there anything that we didn't get a chance to talk about that you'd really like to share <laughs> or touch on? Um, oh,
1: man. I
0: don't know.
1: I just, I think... I never have any uh, drought of things to say, it seems like. I love it. <laughs> uh, I think the, bit, the best parts in my life have been when I got knocked on my ass <laughs> and found myself down on my knees, but then kissing the ground once I realized that we're all just flailing in life and that no one has it figured out. And if someone says they do, I feel like they're a liar. <laughs> <laughs> totally. What's beautiful is we're all just given opportunities every day. To embark on figuring it out our way for what works for us. And that's going to change day to day. And that's going to change based on how we're feeling and what's going on in our life. I really feel like I don't have anything figured out at all mm-hmm. in life, but that if I died today, I feel like I would be satisfied. Mm-hmm. I don't think I would look back and have regrets. I'm I'm trying to come to peace with things I might feel shame about or embarrassed. And just be more kind and compassionate to myself. Like, oh, we're all just human, yes. and to be human is messy. Yeah. And especially with parents, I really feel oh. like it's our parents' job to destroy us. Oh Actually, man, that's the parents' job to destroy us, and it's <laughs> our right to heal ourselves. <laughs> right. And most people will do nothing to heal themselves, yes. and they just dump and blame and they put it on anyone else. And why do we not want to heal ourselves? Well, it's painful. It is. And expensive and exhausting, and we don't have the resources here in Canada. I feel like you want to find a good therapist. Well, it's really time consuming and expensive. It is. Um, You can't afford therapy. Okay. Well then you get on a list for many, many years and then you finally see someone and maybe they're not your style or they're just going to push pills at you. Everything's a a quick fix and there's no quick fix. Right. And so even just saying all of that, I don't know what the hell I'm saying.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That it's messy, that there's no no roadmap. And so I think when we know that it, we can kind of relax. Cause I think, I think we kind of set out thinking that there is a roadmap and that if we, if it doesn't feel clean and easy, that we're doing something wrong. And I think when we can settle into the fact that it is messy and that mostly everybody feels like it's messy, it's really comforting. You can kind of let yourself off the hook.
1: The biggest takeaway from my meditation teacher training at Moment Meditation, and this is a borrowed concept, except they don't own this, but they often talk about the curious scientist, being a curious scientist of your life. Mm. And a really good friend of mine, Lance, has often described it as turning your spy on. If you can turn a spy on inside of you of your life, I think it can be a lot more fun. You can find a lot more humor in some of the painful moments or the embarrassing moments trying to look at your life from the aspect of a curious scientist. How would that person look at you as you're feeling humiliated about something? You know, Would yeah. they be kinder? Would they learn something from it? Would they give you space
0: and time?
1: Yeah, I have to remind myself of that all the time. I think, okay, turn my spy on. Ooh, what's going on here?
0: So smart. I love that analogy, actually. And I think it's really effective with kids because it's Uh fun. It's so fun (laughs) to think Uh of yourself that way. All right. should be doing it too. (laughs) (laughs) Well, really, yes, always, always. But I think of ways to apply it. And it's like, it's so great to have, yeah, to have illustrations like that. Okay. Could you define what kindness means to you? I think kindness, it's
1: more than just treating other people how you'd like to be treated, but that's where it starts. I think it's shooting from the heart and keeping your heart open, especially when it wants to close. We can have a million reasons why our heart wants to harden and close off. They did this. They said that. This happened. But I think a broken, open heart lets more light in than a closed off, hardened heart that's afraid to break. I think kindness is
0: staying open. Wow. Which isn't easy. It's not not (laughs) easy. And it's not always going to happen. (laughs) But it's a good thing to strive for. What book or books have you gifted most often to people?
1: Well, this is one that I'm rereading. And I think I will reread until the day that I die. And I've given it to a lot of people. It's The Untethered Soul by Michael
0: Singer. Have you read that book? I haven't, but I've heard of it. And it's on my list.
1: So good. I know there's so many books. And I'm a perpetual like self help Reader, me too. Okay, always and sometimes it can be negative because you're not. You can read a book, and that doesn't mean you're going to apply it to your life. That's it. But the Untethered Soul definitely changed my life. Mm. Um, The Humans by this author Matt Haig, H A I G. It's an incredible piece of fiction. It's about an alien that comes to Earth and has to live as a human, and it just makes so many remarks on humanity. It's such a great book. Good people, and he's also a big advocate for mental health. He's written another book called Reasons to Stay Alive. He has another, which is nonfiction. It's about his struggles with depression and anxiety. It's really great, quick, easy read, good piece to have for for anyone, I think. And he has another book coming out soon called Notes on a Nervous Planet. And he also has another um, fictional novel called um, How to Stop Time. Hmm. And that one's about a group of people that live for hundreds of years and they're kind of like a secret society. They live among humans, but they can't have the humans find out that they've been around for this long because they would kill them and try to use them for science. And it sounds ridiculous, but <laughs> it is such an incredible book. Oh, I the believe takeaways it. for love and relationships and time in general. And then I have two other ones. The Four Agreements by oh, yeah. Don Miguel Ruiz. I'm sure you've read it. A lot yeah. of people have read it. I give that out to a lot of people. It's they're probably like the most challenging thing to try to live your life by the four agreements. Like always keep it in check. It's seems impossible on yes. a good day, Yes, <laughs> uh, but good things to strive for. Sure. And, um, a book I just read recently essays in love by Alan de Botton. It's more like a, he's more like philosophy kind of guy. He started a school, um, called The School of Life in Europe. But anyways, this book, Essays in Love, if you've ever wondered about love, been in love yourself, wanted to have a relationship, I recommend this book to everybody. Um, Since I've read it, I've recommended it to a bunch of people, one person that read it in one day even. And I think it's a very real account of what it is to love and have relationships, and sometimes that's extremely painful. There's a lot of sad moments in the book where I was like, "Did I write this book? <laughs> I must have written this book." And I think every person I've recommended it to or given it to has reacted kind of the same way. Yeah. Oh, that's but, so, so good. I'm kind of still on this book, but I'll definitely re- read "Essays in Love" again and again till I die.
0: Oh, that's so good. Thank you for sharing those. <laughs> What skill or superpower does a teacher need to lead with in order to be effective?
1: Well, it's just one skill you need to be a teacher, right? You don't need many. <laughs> yeah, <And> right. <laughs> I would say, uh, I want to say compassion, but I think I have to choose empathy mm. because I know compassion is feeling for another, mm-hmm. but I think empathy is not only just feeling it, but it's understanding it and putting yourself where the person is, Mm-hmm. um, and of course, these skills come at a price mm-hmm. because you still need to have awareness. You can't just take on all the world's pain. I think sometimes I'm empathetic to a fault, where I'm like, oh, I can't eat this salad. I just saw this homeless guy over there. He's yes. pooping in the-. It's Like, it's sometimes I think that empathy will kill me inevitably. <laughs> but um, I think for a teacher, that's a really good skill to have and have it in check. And I think. Most teachers probably do. There's a reason yeah. why they want to teach and be around kids and be in that environment. I hope they're coming from a good place. And, um, yeah, helping yeah. the kids recognize their patterns and
0: habits. And
1: I don't know. I feel like I'm making it sound like teachers need to be therapists. But No, no,
0: no, no. I think – no, I <laughs> get it. I think, think empathy is a... taking up so much as yes. a teacher. No, we are. But I think it's important to, to not just um, – yeah, to not just feel it, but to also really deeply understand and seek to understand what's behind that as well. So I think I, I think I get what you mean. Um, What about for a principal? What skill do they need to lead with in order to be an effective leader?
1: Well, it is to be a leader. I would, this is like a magic that I think a principal ideally would possess. And that's the ability to create a tribe. Mm -hmm. you've got your teachers your support staff the students yourself everyone there you're trying to create community and learning in a safe and fun environment there's so much going on and how do you lead without becoming a dictator or (laughs) someone or something that's unapproachable or fear-based I think a lot of leaders or managers out there probably try to scare people into respecting them and we know Mm. that doesn't work that's not real so the ability to create a, a tribe mm-hmm. that's just a that.
0: good one just just, just that, that. <laughs> <laughs> but I think it's a good one it's like what's a so true leader
1: book tribe of leaders I'm sure <laughs> you just read that and you'll know it all <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay last question what question or quote would you print on or sorry what message or quote would you print on one of those quote cups that are sold in big bookstores that would be read by millions of people
1: well, I have lots of them, but yes. I thought this is one that should be on a mug. Smiling is mouth yoga.
0: Oh, so good. I've never heard that.
1: <laughs> That's mine. Okay. It's mine. <laughs> totally original.
0: Trademark. Oh, it's really original. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> Smiling is mouth yoga. I'm oh, doing okay.
1: it right now. I'm Me too. <laughs> too. <laughs> I'm a yogi. I'm basically better than everyone.
0: <laughs> this has been such a. Joy, thank you so much for taking the time to do this with me and for sharing seriously your wisdom and your vulnerability and just so much of yourself with, with I guess, an audience and with me. And I just really appreciate you taking the time because I know you have We're such getting- an incredibly busy schedule, but so it's been awesome. you, but awesome. you're
1: so freaking cool for doing this. <laughs> I respect you and admire you so much. Thank you. You've always been just a courageous, beautiful heart and Aww. you have such amazing intentions and... If you want to talk every day, you <laughs> could be on the radio. You could do this as a career. I have no doubt oh, that you know. would be a super host. You are a super host. Oh, thank you. And I feel really awkward that you would ask me to be on your podcast. I'm like,
0: <laughs> don't you want good guests? You're amazing. Like? No, you you brought it. You have so much to give. I really appreciate that. <laughs> thank you. Thank Thank you. This has been another episode of Kind Sight 101, the podcast. For links to resources mentioned in this episode, visit smallactbigimpact.com and click on our podcast and choose this episode number. Now, I'd love to give my audience a heads up about my new book, which will provide ideas, actionable strategies, and inquiry-based approaches to creating a kinder classroom through serving the community. Subscribe to my blog, for more information. Now, I would love to hear from you. What's the biggest insight that you gain from this conversation? Head over to our website, smallactbigimpact.com, leave a comment on our podcast page, or tag and connect with us on social media with the hashtag smallactbigimpact to share your inspiring story of kindness. Can't wait to hear from you.